Are you ready? Ready to take a ride? Grab your coffee and strap yourself in. Because the show is about to begin. From the front lines of America Babylon and transmitting worldwide on the internet and satellite, you are listening to Omega Man Radio Network with Shannon Davis. My friend, it's been a long time. How you been? Pretty good. Well, I've actually been sick recently, but overall, been been good. I don't well, know when was the last time we talked. It's been a while. It's been since last year. It's probably been nine months. We were texting, and uh, time has just uh, almost escaped me. Uh, I'm looking. We're <laughs> already. We're almost at Fourth of July here next month. Halfway through this year. Can you believe it? Can you, you know, believe it? A year ago, July 4th, I was uh, very sick. Talk about illness. I was down for the count, my brother. I had... Uh, what was going on? It was a demonic attack. Uh, it was also a de- spirit of depression hit me. and But I was literally laying down and uh, had what I thought was turning into pneumonia, coughing up black something. And I'm thinking, this is like what you would get if you were a smoker. And I don't smoke. What's, what's all this about? So I wasn't improving, and I took everything. I took ivermectin. I took, uh, ended up taking Zethromax and saw some benefit from that, but having tried all, the only thing I knew left to do was uh, fast and almost did that, but some fasted for me. And um, I was just laying down, didn't even hardly want to move. And uh, this all came on the heels of God showing me there was an accursed object buried out here in my front yard here in Bali. Well, yeah, that's a home of idolatry for the whole country there. Go ahead. So, you know, here in Bali, you've been what here before. Um, you know, the Hindus... They, yeah, every they, every corner every corner of every yard has a place for idols. Yeah, and Hindus usually have two altars in their front yard, thrones to the demons. Yeah. So when we moved mm-hmm. here seven years ago, uh, we settled on a place here owned by a Hindu lady, but only after she agreed to tear down two altars. And so that's, you know, kind of uncommon, but make a long story short she tore down the altars we moved in we reclaimed the land and then like six years later this was last year i was out in the front yard little yards and i was raking it preparing it to put down some some stone tile out there because i was going to put a dog in my front yard and i wanted him to be able to run on the tile and then i could kind of spray down the area after he did his job right uh uh-huh. instead of just being on the grant the, the the dirt which gets kind of you know muddy and uh, right. my rake, brother Carl, snagged something in the ground, and it was a plastic bag. I thought, and I pulled and pulled, and then up comes this, up comes this small ceramic pot, about the size of your hand, wrapped in this weave, fabric, and it had colored strand, thread, uh, around it to tie the bag, holding this ceramic pot inside and I recognize the string you know when you go to the temples down here they give you a special bracelet made of this colored string yeah. and you have to wear it till it falls off so you go in the shower with it whatever you never take it off right uh-huh. it indicates that you've been through one of the ceremonies and I've seen people with multiple ones so they've been through you know multiple ceremonies and uh, right. when you have a baby down here they give the placenta back to you and a ceramic pot 
and I, w- I was like, what is this? You know, we've had three children here. Uh, what is this? They said, it's the placenta. Well, what am I, what do I want this for? <laughs> they said, you're supposed to bury, exactly. it in your, bury it in your yard. It's supposed to be some good luck, you know. And I said, uh, no, thank you. Uh, I took it. I just threw it in the garbage. I didn't tell them what I did with it, but three times mm-hmm. I threw them in the garbage. But this looked like a miniature version, so I don't know. I, what it was, though, is apparently there was a, a demonic dedication to the property when it was first built. That's the only thing I can come up with. And uh, when I pulled this out of the ground, Brother Carl, I threw it into a five-gallon paint bucket where I was throwing rocks and things, you know? And uh, uh-huh. I forgot about it, and I knew that I needed to destroy it. So about two days later, I'm up on the second uh, level of this um, house that we rent, it's a balcony looking on the front yard and that object that I found was out of the bucket and it was sitting on the ground next to the dog's house and I was like how did you get there the Lord had my dog go in there and get it to remind me I hadn't dealt with it yet and I said Lord (laughs) give me to date uh, to evening I'm going to destroy this thing so I went outside tried to light it on fire that didn't really work well and then I ended up just basically taking a uh a hoe and smashing it into pieces and then uh, I threw it in the garbage I couldn't really burn it that well but I tried I don't know what was in it I think wow. it was some type of offering to the demons thankfully it wasn't yep. a human fetus you know what I'm saying I didn't know what to expect because yeah. that could have been there too but uh, it was demonic none- nonetheless it was a curse on the land and I broke that curse in Jesus name and took deathly ill about two days later so there was wow. some definite demonic backlash, and we have been battling our share. Said all that to say this of sickness, but thank God we're alive today and uh, we're taking one day at a time with Jesus. Praise God. And, and I'll tell you that you can find that actually here in America too. Roman Catholics, when they want to sell a house, they'll go buy an idol of a certain saint. Uh, I want to say Anthony, but I'm not a Roman Catholic, so I don't know. And then they actually will dig a hole and they put the saint into the hole upside down and bury it. Whoa. And then close it up. And that and that's supposed to make the house sell quicker. And so I've known several people that have come across those again, too. And, uh, of course, it had been kind of kind of rotten, but it was pretty obvious you could still tell what it was originally. You know, that just and reminded of course, me. If you're, if you're a really good Catholic, you get the biggest one and dig, <laughs> and, and dig the deepest hole for it. <clears throat> Folks, uh, we're excited to be here with Pastor Carl Henderson. Um, and uh, we're going to give the, the mic to Brother Carl. you got as much time as you want today. Uh, we're just catching up. It's been a while since we talked. And uh, we love you, Brother Carl and Sister Selena. Uh, when, as you were just telling that story, I was reminded of the, the time you went to the, uh, the Enchanted Island over there in the Philippines to track down that witch doctor. Do you remember that? Yeah, Witchcraft Island. Yep. Yep, Juan Ponce, which uh, oh, yeah. the highest-ranking witch on Witch's Island. That was him, Juan and, Ponce. Uh, Who was that this was guy? Juan Ponce. Well, Juan Ponce was, uh, at the time that we came there, he was a, actually considered a tourist attraction. They actually put it on the map. He was the oldest witch and the most powerful witch on the island. And as soon as I saw it, we were, a secure island is called uh, Witch's Island. That's its other name. Uh, and... Uh, so as uh, soon as I saw that, and we were we were doing a kind of a, 
reconnaissance for for the upcoming outreach. We were going to do two big outreaches and two big crusades there on the island. And so we do an exploratory trip first. And as soon as I saw all that and we got everything out of the way, I talked to the to the local uh, pastors and church leaders there who were helping us. And I said, I want to go meet this guy. And you should have seen the look on their face. You, you look, they looked like they saw a ghost. And, uh, and so that's when I realized just how powerful this was. But even most of the Christians were terrified of him. So I insisted on going because we had we actually got everything accomplished almost two days early, and I'm not a kind that wants to go spend the day at the beach while we're waiting for our rides. And uh, so they reluctantly took me all the way up in the mountains on back of uh, motorcycles and stuff to his place. And when we got there, it was interesting that they wouldn't even go into his village. They stopped out at the bottom of the village, and we had to walk up to it. Whoa! And anyway, I went up there, and we and we had an uh, encounter with him. And uh, he, was, he was pretty deaf. He was very hard to hear. He could hardly hear. So I had one of the uh, local preachers there uh, translate for us and shout into his ears. So he would shout into his ears from about 12, 18 inches away what we were saying and translate it and stuff. And so we had this uh, power encounter with him. And, and, uh, and he, he claimed that he got his power from God. And then I, I talked to him that, you know, the power... Uh, you know, was it in Jesus' name? And of course it wasn't. And, and it had been an inherited power. They had had it for many generations before them. And his power was stronger than anyone else's. That's why he was the the ruling witch on the island. And uh, so he showed us some of his fetishes. He showed us some of the things, his potions and things that he put together for people. And the whole family was engaged in witchcraft. And uh, so uh, long story short, we, I shared the gospel with him, and he seemed to repent, and uh, and and he said he wanted to become a Christian, and uh, and uh, I had him raise his hand, and and I did I made him do several different affirmations to show me that he was that he was sincere about being a Christian. But we we were about uh, I don't know 12, 15 miles from the nearest water, so baptism wasn't an option at that point, and uh, but we were thinking, well, that's what we'll do when we get back. So. Um, we, we prayed for him, and then we took authority over him, and his ears got healed. Wow. And he could hear. So we thought, this is, this is amazing. This will have echoes and reverberate all through this island full of witchcraft. And yes. so we left on our way rejoicing, promising we'd be back, and we were headed back. I uh, can't remember exactly now. It's been so many years. But a couple of weeks later, we were planning on coming back, just organizing our trip and stuff for the outreach, and then we were coming back. And uh, kind of a long story. I'm going to try to keep it short. But anyway, as we were, uh, one day I was back in the house and I was walking up the steps and I, and I sort of slipped and fell, but going up the steps, and uh, and I had a, a glass of uh, a cup of tea in my hand, and when I fell, I kind of landed hard on my elbow. But you know, you're falling going uphill. It's not so bad. You know, ask Joe Biden. He's not so bad when you fall going up. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Uh, but afterwards, I had this bad back pain, and it just got worse and worse, and it got so I couldn't, I couldn't lay with the back pain, and I couldn't uh, sit with the back pain, and uh, oh, I actually I skipped something. Yes, um, that, that I, I skipped. Tell uh, them the about night we were getting ready to leave. Yes, something grabbed your ankle. The night we were getting ready. Yeah, the night we were getting ready to leave, 
Uh, it's not uncommon in the third world to have bugs crawling on you at night, and you learn not to smash them right on you, but to th- grab them and throw them real quick. Yes. And then may- maybe smash them, or some of them, if you smash them on you, they it it ends up being a a rash and a big infection and stuff. So you you so I felt something crawling on my neck in the middle of the night, and I grabbed it and I threw it across the room, and then I was trying to go back to sleep, but I kept hearing this little clickety click sound, like you know, these little fingernail type sounds clicking 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 so finally wow. i thought whatever that bug is i assumed it was a roach normally it's a cockroach is on you and uh so i got up and i turned on the light and i went over there and it was uh um uh, a centipede oh boy so i i i just happened to have a, a book nearby and i smashed him with that and i then i went back to sleep so the next morning i get up and i'm sitting out of bed i'm getting out of bed and i'm sitting on the edge of the bed and just saying my prayers and I heard this little clickety-click sound again, and I looked, and here come a centipede from the room next door, straight up, and went right for my feet. Now, people Whoa. don't know, a centipede can actually kill you. It's not a millipede. A millipede is harmless. As far as I know, they're harmless. But a centipede can actually kill you. And we had been in the Philippines for two years and never seen a centipede. And, and so I jumped up and hot-footed around a little bit, bouncing around as he was chasing me around the edge of the bed, and I finally found my flip-flop which is normal shoes over there and i smashed him and i thought man all these years have been in the philippines and we only had this is the first two centipedes i've run into and both of them were were, were after me what well, turns out on witches island that's a number one way that they send uh, uh things after you is with insects and wow they have a whole variety a whole variety of ways that they use them but now back to the story i was after i got back again none of this clicked right i just thought what a coincidence um, maybe my di- my discernment was not what it should have been. But anyway, uh, when I got back, I had that fall kind of going up the stairs, and my back just got worse and worse and worse. And, and I got a call from some believers in the States, uh, and they said, we've been praying for you, and we believe you're under attack. What's going on? And I said, well, nothing. I said, but I hurt my back so bad. It's just killing me. And, uh, and they said, well, what happened? And I said, well, I don't know. I said, I... I kind of fell going up the stairs, but, you know, I, I hit on my elbow hard, but it had nothing to do with my back. But ever since then, I've been having this pain in my back. So we, they began to take authority over it and command that thing, and, and they believed it was a spell. And, and then I got a revelation that it was a, a curse. So once I uh, had that revelation, uh, I felt like God told me to send it back and make it ten times stronger Make it stronger on the person that, that sent it to you. Three times stronger, I think, was the, actually what we did. And uh, so that it would mark who the person was. So then we took authority over it, and we started sending the curse back to the sender. And uh, and then I got, I probably got, I would say, 90, 80, 90% better right there. And uh, to, now it was it was just, you know, a little a little strain, no big deal. And so we went back, and we... we participated in a church service and there was a pretty amazing uh, thing happened there was a we had a little baby a little cyanotic you know blue lips all pale it had been born with a hole in its heart and it already lived for about uh, a year year and a half I think it's been a long time I'm trying to recall all these things and and uh, and and the baby was supposed to have died early on but it was still alive and so we prayed for that baby and apparently, I didn't listen, but apparently you could listen to the heart, and it was just making a whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. It didn't go boom, boom. It just, it had this hole in the heart, it was just constantly flowing. 
and the baby was hanging like a lifeless doll, just arms and legs just hanging. And we took authority over it, and that baby got healed. And it set up, its color came back, and it was waving and playing, and pretty soon it was walking. And they said the baby just laid. It laid in its arms, laid in its bed, and constantly laid, couldn't do anything. Well, while we were healing that baby and some other people, the rest of my back pain completely left. You know, Jesus says it's better to, to give than to receive. And, and, uh, and when we were healing others, I, I got completely healed. So anyway, we went up to um, Juan Ponce's place because I wanted to see how he was doing because actually in my mind I had this big conversion story we were going to tell and I was organizing a way to get him down so we could get him, um, so more people could get to meet him and get him baptized and make it for real in every way. And uh, so when we got up there to the village, I assumed whoever sent this spell, and I figured it was some of his extended family, that person should be six. So I went up to where the men were working. They were making copra, and I went up there, and and they're all gathered around working, and I checked everybody out, and I kind of went through some of the huts nearby, and no, there was nobody there. And then uh, I went down to women. were working down below in the fire, and I went down to where they were. Everybody in the family is a witch in one way or another. They're all involved in witchcraft, and nobody there, and I couldn't find anything, and I thought, well, maybe I maybe I misread it, right? So I said, well, let's go on down to Juan Ponce's house because, of course, I was thinking that's going to be the big victory place. And I was assuming that because he had made an effort to become a Christian that somebody else had sent a curse after him. But when we got down there, the Filipino missionaries who worked with us, they all crowded into the door and kind of left me on the outside. I'm a little bit too big to fit in there with other people. And they were inside and they were talking to him and Juan Ponce could still hear. He's still healed. And uh, finally, I worked my way through the group, and I got inside, and then I saw Juan Ponce was laid out in bed and uh, in terrible back pain. And when he looked at me, he sat up for a second, kind of startled. He stared at me, and then he turned towards the wall of the hut, and he refused to talk anymore. And then I realized it was him. He'd either faked his conversion, or he'd he'd already fallen away, and he... Uh, had sent this curse after me. Yes. So the rest of the story, I don't, I don't know if I've ever told this part of it. So we did t- uh, uh, two crusades there. Uh, his uh, step, his um, uh, daughter-in-law, and one of his daughters wanted to go to the crusade, and they asked if we could give them money to make it because they have to rent several motorcycles to get down from where they are. And I figured, well, they were just ripping me off, but I give them the money anyway. So they came down, and it turned out one of them had a breast cancer, and another one had tumors that were palpable on, in her abdomen on the side, on the left side. And uh, and uh, so we took authority over these things, and both of them got healed, and they they accepted Christ and and uh, wow. turned turned their hearts to the Lord in every way. And uh, so we just thought, well, I guess it wasn't in vain. And while we were up there with Juan Ponce. We, we tried to gather the men, and we got his oldest son there, and we said, well, we wanted to pay, pray. And he was like a cat at a bulldog convention. He did not want to be there, but he was sort of by peer pressure in the Filipino culture. You can't really be rude. And so he had to kind of stay there. And so I prayed that God would break the curse over that family and take away this spirit, this familiar spirit that they got their power from so that they could serve a newness of life and find out the reality there is in Christ. So I prayed this this strong prayer, and uh, like I said, he was not comfortable, 
and we did two crusades. A lot of people came to faith. Uh, we had a, we experienced a lot of miracles there, and then we left. The next time I came to Sikihor Island, I run into one of the one of the uh, preachers there from the island. He goes, "Did you hear about Juan Ponce?" Now I had been about. I would say a couple of months since I had last been there, uh, and uh, and and I said he said did you hear about Juan Ponce? I said no. What happened? He goes right after you left. About a week later, he died, and and they said he said God killed him because of what he tried to do to you. Yes. And so I said wow. And then he goes, but that's not the 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 big part of the story. The big part of the story is nobody in his family has power now. Now they now they can't do witchcraft. None of them have power. And he goes, in fact, there's a fight going on in the island about who's going to be the dominant witch. And normally there'd be no fight. The next next one after Juan Ponce, his son would have been the one that stepped up. But he was the one we prayed for to break the curse. So it was a pretty pretty exciting story to hear how God worked it. And I've, I've, I don't know how many times I've shared that with people in certain circles. And they just can't believe what you mean. God still kills people like He did in the Bible. Sure. Uh, yeah. When they when they rebel against Him, and when they when they attack His servants, yeah, yeah, He can. And uh, and in this case, Juan Ponce was removed. The family's power was removed. And the guy said, "He goes, you ought to see that family. They're trying to figure out how to make a living because they've just lived on witchcraft for generation after generation." He goes, "None of them have any skills. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to work." Now this and guy, so, Juan Ponce, folks. Um, he is renowned uh, for decades. How he was pretty old uh, when y'all met him, but he was still alive and was, kicking. How old was he, r- roughly? He was he was ninety nine. He was deaf, but he could still walk and talk and yes. and get around. But but he actually was a source of power for people throughout Asia and even Europeans would come yes. uh, once a year to Juan Ponce to get their demonic powers charged up. Witches came from all over, from Indonesia, from Malaysia, from elsewhere in Asia, but also even from Europe to get their demonic powers charged up from Juan Ponce. Amazing. So when he was when he was removed, it was a it was a a, a big deal, and uh, and 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 the guy told me he says you know the whole atmosphere on the island is different now. He says Whoa. because he says now he says he says you won't believe this. He says but Sikihori Island it's it's turning into a tourist resort now. He goes, because the cloud of witchcraft has been lifted. He goes, there's still witches on the island. Don't get me wrong. He said, there's still witches who are still working, and people are still traveling from all over the Philippines to, to be healed there. And, and people, he says, but, but the power is broken. He goes, it's different now. He says, there was a, it was like a cloud over the island. The clouds lifted. He goes, now there's just pockets of it. So that's how the kingdom of God works and how it can show up and accomplish ama- amazing and mighty things. I had read a story about Juan. Uh, someone had published some years ago. Uh, when y'all gave me his name, I did some Google searches on him, and uh, there was a report that uh, people would hire him uh, for assassinations, and he would work yep, his exactly. magic, and he would send out these flying beetles with a piece of white string tied on to the abdomen of the beetle, and they would fly for long distances and apparently get to the victim, and crawl into the mouth of the person and kill them and the way he would know that the job was successful the hit is they would fly back to Juan and the white string if it had it was red meaning it had uh, come in contact with blood he knew it had hit the target 
Um, now, did you see also I, these uh, bottles with like sea creatures in them and all kinds of things inside? Um, I, we saw we saw probably four or five bottles and a, and a whole stack of fetishes. Now, I will tell you one interesting thing. You know, people would come from all over the Philippines to be healed by him and the other witches on the island. But I did notice this. When we sent that curse back and he was sick, sitting on his uh, table, he had three different kinds of, uh, of doctor medicine. He wasn't counting on his fetishes to save him. He was using real medicine, Brother Carl, which, is, which I found kind of novel. I think you left out one detail. If I recall also, in addition to the, uh, the centipede attack, um, uh, didn't something grab you, your big toe? And it oh, yes, like- I did. What yes, happened there? I, I did leave that out. Yes. So this was the night before the centipede attack. I'm laying in bed. We're, we were staying in what they call a pension house, which means uh, someone just builds some extra rooms to their onto their house, and then they'll rent out those rooms like a hotel. So I had a couple of uh, a female missionaries travel with me, so I had them in another place separate from me so there's no appearance of evil. And then they were in separate uh, section of a pension house, and I'm in, in this house. And so I was laying down at night and I was reading my Bible laying in bed and I felt like that I'm, I'm glad you reminded me of this uh, you refreshed my memory there I felt like somebody reached up and grabbed my foot from maybe under the bed and then poked me in the toe with something sharp and I and I even I even I mean I felt a pain like ah but I not only felt the pain I felt like somebody had grabbed my foot and stabilized it too so I jumped out of the bed and I looked under the bed. The, the bed I'm laying in was just basically a cot. It's like a kind of a, like an old army bed, right? Just a spring and a mattress, and uh, and four legs on it. And I, I looked all around and there was nothing there. But I really felt someone had grabbed my foot and poked me in the toe with something sharp. And I checked my toe; it wasn't bleeding, but I but I clearly felt it. I felt I actually felt. The foot grabbing my hand first, and I thought, what? And then the poke, and that's what made me jump. Now, uh, what do you I think mean, that uh, was? Uh, the hand grabbing my foot. Astral projection attack, because I remember when you said that, um, you said it hit you and you felt like a, an 80-year-old man could hardly even walk. Um, yeah, yeah, it sapped me. Now, it was Richard Keltner, Watchman Radio, who had found the island and had uh, right? sent Brother Carl over to uh, Seeky Corps, and then I put a little bit of money on the back end. I said, hey, man, let me get involved in that. And uh, this is exciting what you are doing because he would send you all out on all these uh, Philippine adventures. And um, and I know that you went there and had the encounter with Juan Ponce, and then I think you also doubled back and did another meeting there and uh, with about a couple dozen people. I mean, you all were doing a lot of crusades over there, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, we... Same yeah, results. we did. Uh, yeah, we did uh, amazing crusades there, and you know, c- considering that people come to that island to be healing, to be healed, we had a lot of people healed. I'll never forget this one boy that had a like a huge water blister on his head from cracking his skull. Wow! And that water blister was like a. It was. I don't know how to say it. It made his head look deformed, and it was a huge, big blister. And that was one of the ones that that got healed and we had so many people healed there including Juan Ponce's daughter-in-law and his um, trying to remember what the other daughter-in-law and I guess a daughter uh, yes. that were were healed also 
So, yeah, we saw a lot of miracles there when the, the power of darkness was broken, and a lot of people came to faith, and, and it really turned around uh, the atmosphere on the island. But I think probably the single biggest event that turned it around was when when God removed Juan Ponce from the, yes. from the, from the scenario. That was it. The power was broken, and we had already prayed over his family. I actually have that picture on Facebook, I think, of me uh, praying for them in a circle and you can even see the son's faces like oh man what am I doing here but um, but Filipinos are so polite they can't uh, they can't uh, you know they can't say no sort of and uh, and so he uh, he he had his power broken right there by the grace of God by the power of Jesus's name y'all did some great crusades uh, do you have any desire to take a trip back to the Philippines and check on it again Oh, absolutely. You know, this COVID thing and a lot of other stuff, uh, I was able to travel a lot more in Africa and even in Europe and in Poland and Greece and and the UK and stuff since then. We have made two trips back, but it's been quite a while now, since probably a couple of years before COVID hit and afterwards, they were very restrictive in the Philippines. In fact, I understand there's certain areas in the Philippines where they're still forcing people to mask up. And uh, so um, it's crazy. Once, once, once all that's resolved, and if the resources God provides the resources, yes, we'd like to go back because we have, we have five. Let's see, one, two, three, four. I guess we have four uh, missionaries working in the Philippines right now that we raised, we trained, we brought them to faith, we equipped them, and so one of them's planting churches down in an area called Sorsagon in uh, Bicol, which is uh, down in the southern part of uh, Luzon Island. And we have, a, we have two more who are running a feeding program for us up in Manila, Tondo, the world's uh, largest trash dump where they're feeding oh, yeah. all these kids that, Forgot about live, that. live in the garbage. Um, trash Mountain. Yeah. Oh, Tondo, yeah. That's, uh, that's, that was uh, another it's, crusade. It's, such a, it's so much garbage piled there and it's so deep that internal combustion occurs inside of us. So it's steaming and smoking all the time. It's it's like 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 Hades. It's like this horrible place. So the poor people from the country come into town and they want to uh, make a living. They think they're going to come to the big city in Manila and make a living. And of course, they get there. They don't have the language skills. They don't have the job skills. And uh, and and that society and culture with a Spanish background, you really got to know somebody instead of know something. And so they end up, oftentimes they end up living in the trash dump, becoming what they call scavengers. And uh, they just they uh, they'll use like a baling hook, like we use for a bale of hay, and they'll jump on the trash dumps coming into 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 that Tondo Smoky Mountain area, and they'll ride them out and then jump off. And when the garbage is dumped, then they start digging through the garbage to find recyclables so that they'll have food to eat and and clothes. They'll often build their houses out of cardboard and tin and scraps of plywood and they just live right in the garbage. Uh, it's a very filthy environment. In fact, when you first get there, you can hardly stand the smell after after an hour or so. You don't notice it so much anymore, but uh, it's uh, really a bad environment and we feed 250 children there. I'll tell you how what a bad environment is. I had a young man working with, I say young man, a middle-aged man, <laughs> I'm getting so old now, everybody's a young man anymore, <laughs> but anyway, he had a middle-aged guy working for us, and he was part-time translating and walking along with us, uh, where we went, and somehow, I didn't see it happen, or even, I wasn't even aware of it, he, 
he cut his foot in the garbage. And it was not uncommon for them because they're mostly wearing flip-flops. That's one place where I wouldn't wear flip-flops. I wore boots or the best shoes that I had because you just you're just waiting and and when the high tide comes in a lot of that garbage just becomes uh, sewage then it just becomes mucky filth and uh, uh, and then when the low tide comes out of course then it's the stench and and that garbage piling up and stuff is the reason why it's it's smoking and steaming all the time but anyway this guy uh, cut his foot apparently and so the next day we were getting ready to go and he wasn't going to be there to help us with interpretation talking to people and they said no he was staying home he cut his foot he's gonna he's gonna stay home for a day or two and then he'll come back out and so after two days we didn't see him again so I asked I said hey where is this guy I can't recall his name now and they said oh he's he's homesick because he cut his foot it's swollen and I said well let's go to him and visit him tomorrow and we'll pray for him well by the time we got there the next day he died and Whoa. he died from tetanus. I had no idea that you could die from tetanus in three days. Wow! But uh, in, in three days, he had died. Um, the you know the only thing that gave us any peace at all was he had just become a Christian just at the very, I don't know, probably the week before. And that's why he was following us around and trying to learn as much as he could and helping to translate. And he was really excited about the things of God. And then he. Uh, he died of tetanus. So, I, I, you know, tetanus is everywhere, but I had no idea that it moved that fast. In three days, he was dead from tetanus. Good grief. That's horrible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and that's the kind of stuff where we're, we have a feeding program working with these children. Like I said, we feed 250 children in two different locations there. So we have a couple of uh, Filipinos that we've trained and discipled and and, and and taught to do the Lord's work they're in charge of the program and so we support that program and we have another person who works with them and also does a lot of evangelism and so um, we have you know we still have four people working there plus of course we a lot of the house churches we planted a lot of those people are still faithful still serving God and still working but that's uh, four that we support because uh, we wanted to make sure that our fruit remained remember that's Jesus's standard Will, the, will, the, will your fruit remain? And so um, that was one of the biggest things. And actually, I think I've told you before, I, uh, at the time when I was a missionary working then, I really was concentrating, frankly, I was concentrating on evangelism and church planting. And God kept morphing our ministry. And then it, it got into a lot more uh, uh, healing ministry. And then it, it changed again and each time um, we came under attack by you know other other believers actually it's amazing that most of your attacks by people are by people who claim to be Christians and each time it would morph our ministry it would change in a different direction and that's when we got into so much deliverance ministry and we were doing mass deliverances and and setting people free from uh, all kinds of demonic manifestations and stuff and um, and so in each case our ministry kept morphing and changing as God wanted us to do different things but one of the things that I had always sort of to be frank I always sort of looked down my nose at uh, at these people because uh, there's a, I don't know if you people don't realize this if you're not involved in missions you think uh, that uh, there's all these missionaries out there working well the truth is 70% of the Christian missionaries in the world today are women because the men don't go the men won't wow. go you know, it's it's a warrior's calling, but the men won't man up and they won't go. So women end up doing it. But unfortunately, women being women, they're nurturers, they're nest builders, they're caretakers. 
What they mostly do is they end up getting into orphanages and into young children's programs and things like that. And the sad thing is it's not like old traditional orphanages where you raise children up in the orphanage, right? And then eventually, and of course, the idea is you raise them up in the faith and they become faithful and then they leave the orphanage, kind of like the orphanages that we used to read about or hear about in Europe. And a lot of times these orphanages produce godly men and women, but the orphanages overseas, people check their kids in and out. Like when the family has a major financial reversal, the kids go into the orphanage for maybe a year or two until the family gets back their feet on the ground and they take the kids out again. So I, I honestly, I looked down my nose at a lot of the orphanage work, but, and some of these places were just glorified adoption agencies. In other words, you're bringing in infants, and oftentimes that infant was adopted out before it was a year or two old. So you weren't really doing Christian ministry in the sense of saving souls, but you are doing Christian ministry according to Matthew 25, which is caring for the, the weak and the poor and the downtrodden and those who, widows and orphans and that kind of thing. But to be honest with you, I was, you know, this Christian walk is a process and we grow. And I had a tendency to look down my nose at those kinds of ministries. And, uh, and one day I was reading Matthew 25, and I really came under conviction about the fact that, uh, uh, you know, there had been early on, there had been some times when I tried to meet other people's needs to the point where we didn't have money to feed ourselves, and God miraculously showed up and, and brought food and different things for us. But I had sort of looked down my nose at that, and then I really got a revelation from God that God cares about that. In fact, Matthew 25 says that he will judge us on how we've treated other people. And he says, you know, if you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And if you haven't done that, you haven't done it unto him. And so I got under strong conviction about the fact that, yeah, I was doing one section of the gospel right and powerfully and seeing a lot of fruit from that, but I wasn't doing the whole thing. So we um, we had known and worked in Tondo and Smoky, in, uh, Smoky Mountain for some time. And so... We went back and we got established and we established a ministry there. It started out with just 100 kids. Now we're feeding about 250. It was a real difficult time all the way through COVID trying to get food to them because you couldn't assemble the kids. So then our people that were working over there had to bag it all up and take and deliver it all over the place to these families, which although they're living in the trash dump and living in a, in a, a, um, a house that, you know, most of, when I was a kid, we always had chickens. Most of our chickens' houses were better than their homes, and uh, our chicken coops, I should say. But um, so they were delivering food during that time uh, when they were allowed to, and then they would also um, find, they found different ways to beat the rules and 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 feed those kids who were out there. Of course, uh, you know, starvation was a serious problem for two years. The Philippines, they were uh, the, the then Duterte was in lock sync with the Chinese, and the Chinese are the ones who set these policies worldwide about how we're going to deal with COVID, and uh, he was um, he was real close to them, so he had some of the strictest rules of all. A lot of Filipinos starved, a lot of pe Filipinos did without and suffered greatly, because if you're a people who live day to day, you know, when we pray for our daily food, it's a hypothetical prayer, because we actually have, you know, several weeks where the food's sitting in our pantry. As, uh, as Americans, and we most of us have 30 or 40 days of rations whether we're wearing around our waistline or our hips. So, but over there, they literally, you know, they literally say we're going to find food today 
and they have to go out and figure out a way to earn enough money to get some food. And uh, so now you stop that. They can't go out and earn any money. They can't go out and find a job and work, be a day laborer and make enough money to bring to buy some rice and, and bring home to their kids. Uh, now you've got people on the verge of starvation. And you've got men who are involved in industries like construction and things like that. That's it. You're not allowed to work anymore. Or people involved in, there's a lot of uh, service industries like uh, driving jeepneys and bicycle taxis and and uh, things like that around the country. Well, nobody's moving. You can't do that. So it was a very difficult time, but we got through it, and we still have about the same number of kids, and uh, the numbers are growing. But um, that's um, important ministry that we're we're still involved in there in the Philippines. So yeah, we want to. I'm in constant contact with those people, and and we do give them support so that they don't have to work a second job and 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 minister at the same time. Uh, they don't get a lot of support, but, but they get enough. And uh, so, and then pay, pay for the program. How can someone get in contact with you to support your ministry in these programs? Is there any way they can get involved? Well, yes. If, uh, if somebody wants to give uh, through PayPal, it's Pastor... Let's see, let me make sure I get it right now. Is it Pastor it's, Carl Five? Yes, yeah, Pastor Carl Five at uh, yahoo.com, and that's our address on um, on PayPal as well. So it's Pastor P A S T O R Carl C A R L the number five at yahoo.com, and you can give there to support that ministry and to keep those missionaries working. Uh, it's been a very difficult time for them too. I, I can't tell you how many times they were frustrated because. Uh, even when they went out for things, the government would chase them back to their house and and scold yeah. them and things for for doing things. So it was really a, a very difficult time there, more so than here, and it was plenty difficult here as well. You know, I haven't been off the island of Bali in over three years because uh, we refused to take these shots, and um, I never seen a lockdown in my life until I came here. And uh, they began to institute this thing where you had to download an app that showed your vaccination history. And to get into malls, you had to scan the QR code for the security guard to see you were cleared, you'd had your shots. Well, they wouldn't let you in. So we dealt with that. They would have um, same thing at banks. I mean, it was horrific. But, the uh, you know, we lived through that. But even now, in 2023... To fly into the country, you've got to have uh, two or three shots or a, a letter from a doctor excusing you. And then if you want to go out, yeah. and in my case, I, I can travel in-country now. They opened it up and uh, last summer, and uh, I don't have to wear a mask anymore, which is nice. But um, if I leave the country and try to come back, um, I can't get back in be, without the shots. locked out. Or I've been locked out. Well, the shots were the doctor's notice. And so for that reason, I haven't been on a plane over three years. It, it sucks. And um, I think they're talking now about worldwide doing that treaty and the who is going to take control, and they want to put in this worldwide COVID passport system and bring in the app. Yeah, and, and, and see, it's what I tell people all the time. What do you think? Do you think woke is about politics? Do you think it's about liberal, socialist, communist trying to shove things down constitutional 
conservative Republicans' throats? No, that's not what it's about. That's just the symptom. It's about stopping the spread of the gospel. It's about stopping people from being able to move from place to place and, and, and preach the gospel. In fact, right. you know, it says that when Jesus came, in the fullness of time, God fought forth his son, born of a woman. Well, what was the fullness of time that made that moment perfect? Well, the Romans had connected the whole world with roads. The Roman roads connected all the roads, and all the roads led to Rome. There was one common language because of Alexander the Great uh, coming up with, with Koine Greek, a simple form of Greek that was spoken everywhere. And that was the one language that was spoken all through, and most of our New Testament was written in Koine Greek, written to be understood by common local people. That was the fullness of time when the Romans connected the world with roads and when there was one common language that everyone understood. Now, that's not saying that in Palestine they didn't stick, speak Aramaic, Aramaic and they didn't also use Latin concerning the law of Rome, but the common language was Greeks. And that's why even Peter, an uneducated fisherman, he spoke Greek well enough to write Greek. And they, they'll, they'll tell you, the experts, that his Greek wasn't the best quality, but he spoke Greek. And that was the fullness of time, because everyone spoke the common language, and everyone could travel. Well, the fullness of time today is now, because the whole world speaks English. Everywhere I go in the world, I can either preach in English, or I can find somebody who can in, who translates English there locally, who can translate for me. Every place you go, um, there's there's a very strong bias towards... The lingua franca of the world today is English. If you yes. want to communicate, if you want to travel, you have to know English. Can you get by any others? Yes. But if you really want to accomplish anything, it's English. And the whole world is interconnected now uh, by the Internet and by aircraft now, where you know even the longest flights to Asia, 18, 24 hours. But imagine, you know, in, in the days of the Old West, 24 hours wouldn't get you 18 miles down the road. So... You can. This is the fullness of time too, and that's what this attack is about. It's about stopping the spread of the gospel. It's not about conservative values. It's not. I mean, why? Why are they trying to tell us that nobody knows what a woman is? You know, everybody. Everybody with common sense knows that a woman is adult male. I mean, adult female human. Right. And a male is an adult male human. It don't matter how you dress them. That's the same thing. A guy can wear women's clothes, which is sinful, or a woman can wear man's clothes, which is sinful, according to the Bible. But it doesn't change anything. But what is this about? It's about destroying even the meaning of truth. If there's no such thing as truth, then when Jesus comes, the way, the truth, and the life, then it destroys the credibility. The mere idea, and this has been under attack for 20 years or more, the whole idea that there even is such a thing as truth. What is that about? That's not about politics. Oh, that's how it plays out in the corrupt politicians, because they're all they're all trying to make the most of it, but the root thing of that is to destroy, if there's no truth, then there can be no truth in the gospel. There That's can right. be no right and wrong. And so people have to realize that all of these things, these are this is spiritual warfare in the heavenly places, and and it's playing out here on earth. It's, it's not about conservative versus liberal, it's about... Uh, it's about can you say the truth anywhere? Is there still freedom of speech? Can you still travel from country to country? Because, or do you have to report to some bureaucratic organization which had been proven to 
that they lied to us all through the COVID epidemic. Yes. And now somehow they gained power and now they become the authority, even though they were they're proven liars and countries are handing over their authority to these places. And why is that? Well, that's Satan's plan because God set the boundaries on the nation. He said that. He set the boundaries on the nation and where the people will be and what the people uh, people groups will be, the ethnoses will be. And all those things are being tied together by the gospel in the English language primarily, but in other languages as well. But, but the point is, the real attack here is spiritual. This is about tearing down uh, the kingdom of God and preventing its spread. And so, it's, you know, it's not about something as idiotic as transsexualism, which anybody with a, with a, with a third-grade science uh, background can tell you you cannot change sexes. It's not about that. It's about, hey, you cannot tell the truth. That's what the real thing is. How dare you say the truth? How dare you use common sense? Right. And the, real, the goal behind that is how dare you speak the gospel? How dare you tell me what sin is? How dare you tell me to repent? How dare you talk about sin, righteousness, and judgment? How dare you determine what's right or wrong? How dare Jesus speak into my life and have any influence in my life? How dare there be a word, a book, a constitution called the scriptures of the New Testament that can change lives and, and tell people what's wrong with their lives and how to live their lives? That's what the real attack is about. You know, Brother Carl, I have a friend over in England, uh, two of them that are pastors over there, and they told me, something was shocking to me, they said if we preach against homosexuality here, uh, and the authorities find out about it, they could arrest us over here. It's a, it's a crime. I'm saying it's a yep. crime uh, to preach the gospel, and in countries it, like that, in Canada, we hear the same thing, persecution. Um, Canada, and it's starting in Australia as well. Do you think that um, now they're going after uh, gender and trying to get everybody over to their new pronouns, uh, but it's a slippery slope right into the next attack, which is really going to be to demonize the Bible and go after uh, Christians. Is this the beginning of war on the saints that we see occurring? Clear, clearly it is. I mean, it's already, it's, it's already war upon the saints because it's war upon the truth. And who are those that speak the truth in love? It's That's the right. people of God. And if we're not speaking the truth in love, then don't fool yourself. You're not a Christian. If you're hiding out already when there's no persecution, yes. God forbid when it comes, because we'll see you. And, and we'll see what happens. And the church in, in Zanzibar and the church in, in China and the church in Vietnam, all of them tell you the first thing that happens when persecution occurs is there's a big shaking. And most of the people that you thought were Christian are the first to fall away. And the new Christianity are those who are going to be saved who are in the world. And we see that over and over again. Those who are play Christians, those who want to hang out and, uh, and, and name the name but not do the word. Jesus said, you know, don't call me Lord, Lord, but you do the things that my Father says in heaven, my Father in heaven says. So many will say, Lord, Lord, but it's those who do what he says that are the true believers. And so, yeah, there's going to be a testing, and I gotta, I'm got um, sad to say I feel, I, I'm, this is not a prophecy, but in my heart I feel that, uh, that we're going to lose a lot of people that think they're Christian because they never were. That's the reason why they're compromising with females 
uh, in the pulpit and they're compromising with homosexuals in the pulpit and, and transgender and flying their rainbow flags at all these different denominational groups. This is why the Presbyterians are splitting down the middle, the Methodists are splitting, and all these different groups. And so far, they haven't even had a real test. This is just about church politics that they're splitting over. When there's a real test where it's going to cost you your blood or your property or your lives or your job or or, or seriously affect the, how you live your life, are you going to remain faithful then? That hasn't even been tested yet. So yeah, all of this is leading to that. Listen, the, the persecution is coming. And, uh, and it's already common in communist countries. It's already common in uh, Islamic countries. And it's also common in, in Hindu countries. Christians are suffering now in India more than ever at the same time that we're America's over there saying, oh, they're such a wonderful democracy. Yeah, except for the fact that they slaughter Christians. Yeah, they're right. wonderful people when they're, when they're not killing believers in Jesus Christ, and when they're not attacking the, the Dalits, the lowest class people in the country, because so many of them are turning to the Lord, uh, and when they're not stealing their, their daughters and, 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 and forming them, uh, making them into prostitutes, or in most Muslim countries, kidnapping adult uh, or teenage uh, Christian girls and forcing them into Muslim marriages. So, yeah, this stuff has been going on, and it's coming. And anyone who thinks, oh, this is about right versus left, or this is about, uh, you know, really about homosexuality or transsexualism or anything, no, that's the that's the veneer. What it's really about is it's an attack upon truth. And if you stand for the truth, you will come under attack. Now, you can stand for the truth in a political sense, uh, and uh, and you see what happened to the January sixth people. Yes, <laughs> they, they something something that was relatively. No big deal was turned into the crime of the century. Right. And when the crime of the century was happening in Minneapolis and, and Spokane and all this kind of stuff, oh, oh sure. well, nobody could notice that. They were mostly peaceful protests. So it's so clear what's going on with Trump. You know, it's really not about Trump anyway. It's about whether anyone who goes against the system can stand. And if you can take a millionaire like Trump, and, I'm, and please don't don't misread me. I don't agree with everything about Trump either, and I certainly don't believe like a lot of people running around saying he's a Christian. I don't believe that for a minute. You can just listen to him in a conversation, and you can tell his tongue is certainly not redeemed. That's for sure. But I will tell you, it's it's about somebody who's outside the game. Anyone who bucks the system, and there's nobody who bucks the system right. if we're faithful, like a Christian. Christians are against the system. We don't align with governments. We are the kingdom of God. So we're a multinational, international kingdom of Jesus Christ, and wow. we're the best citizens we can be in every country we're in, unless they require us to go against the word of God. And this homosexual issue, this socialism issue, this transsexualism, and ad nauseum. Yes. And, uh, you know, the aliens from outer space and AI and all these all these distractions and all these things that are, uh, you know, there's so much propaganda out there now. We, you don't even have a clue about what's real and what's what is right. just another distraction to keep you from preaching the gospel. This is so true, folks. If you're just joining us, I'm excited to be back today with Pastor Carl Henderson. Now, my brother, uh, I haven't even cut you loose to preach, and if you got the time, I want to do that. <clears throat> but I got to ask you another question. Well. Okay, well, I'm not going to be able to preach now because I have a oh, I have man. another appointment in about 45 minutes. 
Okay. And it's about a 30 minute drive, but let's let's share for a little bit longer yes. if you want. Yes, I want to ask. And then I and, and just rest assured I have a good sermon waiting in two weeks. Okay. <laughs> we're gonna get Brother Carl back. Uh it's been a while since we've been together, so we're catching up. Brother Carl, uh, where are you headquartered now? Are you still down on uh in Texas on the border area? Where are you at? Yeah, I'm down here in uh in uh, McAllen, Texas, uh about eight miles from the border with Mexico. And you know that's that's another thing that's being covered up by the press. Tell me what's about going that. on down here on this this border. The you know I went to the airport the other day. We were sending a uh, one of our local disciples. We 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 have a whole new thrust now, and you'll hear about this more when I preach next week. Uh, I, I mean in two weeks. But we have a whole new thrust now about disciples making disciples, and uh, and and what Jesus required, how Jesus explained that, and what Jesus did that. And and and, and I'll tell you that's the problem. Uh, with much of the modern church is uh, we're making church members, we're not making disciples. And, uh, and and teaching people to play church is the least of their problems. In fact, that that is a problem. That's not the source. But anyway, we have this young lady. She's been with us for uh, two years now. We've um, uh, discipled her and trained her and got her doing evangelism and got her do- doing Bible studies and got her doing door-to-door ministry and stuff. And so we heard about an outreach going on in Panama. So we let her be a part of that. We don't just believe in just going off on these mission trips because I've seen far too many of those things are just, uh, uh, let's just be honest, they're, they're really it's an excuse for, for Christians to pay for somebody's vacation somewhere. I don't know how many times right. I've seen these mission teams from Australia and America and elsewhere, and they get there and they do almost nothing. They play with the children in an orphanage or they build a building somewhere which has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. I'm not saying God can't use those resources, but they're never evangelizing. They don't know how to evangelize. Most of them are not Christians. A lot of them are brat kids who have been sent by their parents thinking the missionary is going to somehow convert their kids when they get there. (laughs) And I've had horrible experiences where I've done deliverance on women who grew up in orphanages who were raped by uh, these mission teams that came there when they were little girls. They were raped, and and they would break down crying, and they would say, how could this happen? These were the good people. These were Christians. How could they do this to me? I was only 11 years old. How could they do this? And, and it's, <clears throat> they ended up demonized from this stuff, and it, and it was a huge barrier to their faith. And most of these mission teams want to want to go play like they're doing mission work for a week, and then they want four or five days at the beach, and then they go home and and they tell just like the like the normal mission camp, like the summer camps are. Oh, I got converted. You know, I. I put my sins on the pine comb and I threw it in the fire and, and I'm all converted and then I run into two weeks later, these high school students, I run into two weeks later and they're, and they're smoking and they're cussing. And it's like, well, I thought you got converted at, at uh, summer camp. Well, you know, the feeling went away. Yeah, because it was all emotionalism. <clears throat> and that's how I feel about all these summer camps. I'm very sure. reluctant to support or to encourage people for short-term missions. If you're going to be a missionary, you need to do it like Acts 1.8 says. You do it as Jesus told the, the the apostles. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. You'll be endued with power, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, if you can't do it in Jerusalem, your hometown, you can't do it in Judea, your home state, you can't do it cross culturally, locally in Samaria, then you have no business going to the ends of the earth. And this idea of sending a bunch of kids off to the ends of the earth to have a vacation and Christian paying for it, I'm against. Now, back to our topic. <clears throat> So this this uh, young woman, we trained her up, and and we were sending her off uh, 
to uh, Panama, and she spent uh, 10 days down there, came back with, you know, blisters and sores and termite bites and mosquito bites, and uh, having watched, I think, about 30 people baptized into Christ, and uh, another, I think, 140 or anyway, some large number, I can't remember exactly, large number of contacts for the local church to begin to follow up on. <clears throat> That's real mission work. Anyway, while we were at the airport, not back to our topic, down here in McAllen, Texas, the airport, this is an area that probably has, um, the population ethnically is about uh, 90% Hispanic, about about 7% maybe white, uh, 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 what would you call them, Anglos, and, and then a, a little mixed bag of other stuff. But there's very few blacks out here. The whole airport was full of nothing but black men and women, Haitians, who were given tickets by the United States government to fly to all different locations in the U.S. I mean, the airport, when we were in there, even the Hispanics were in the minority. The whole airport was full of Haitians being shipped all through the United States. And the U.S. taxpayers paying for those things. So I have uh, I have two mixed emotions on this. Uh, I have to share with you. One is, as an American, of course, I don't appreciate Biden selling out and betraying and destroying our country. On the other hand, as the kingdom of God, there's this concept in mission. It's called the push and pull of missions. And so there was times in Christian history where the Christians were not push out and interact with foreigners. And so what God did is He sent the foreigners. So in the case of like Northern Europe, under when Charlemagne was trying to Christianize Europe, which also included a persecution of a lot of real Christians, but there was sort of a, a general atmosphere that was, that was kind of Christian, at least culturally so. Uh, he decided, no, we're going to consolidate. We're going to build roads. We're going to build schools. We're going to do all these things. And, uh, and, and the Christians quit going because earlier the Irish, Irish Christians, who they now call Roman Catholics, they were not Roman Catholics. They've been uh, adopted and smeared by the Roman Catholics, like Patrick and many of the other great missionaries, missionaries of the Acts who confronted the Germans and converted whole people groups uh, to Christianity. They had been going, and Charlemagne stopped all that. So he stopped all that. We're going to concentrate on, concentrate on educating our people, putting in roads and buildings and schools. So what happened was God loosed the Vikings against them, and the Vikings raided Europe. And they raided uh, Ireland, and they raided England, and they hauled away tons of people captive. And they became the plague upon Europe for almost 200 years. Europe was besieged by these, these cruel barbarians. But what the Vikings did was they took back a lot of these priests who spoke and, and could read and write languages. They took back a lot of these Christian women to be their wives. And you'll never hear the story of how... The Scandinavian countries were evangelized and converted because they were converted from within. The Christians who had been held hostage, who had been kidnapped and were taken to Scandinavia, converted the next generation, and they all became Christians. So there's this thing called the push-pull of, of missions. If you don't push out into the areas where the enemy is and seize new territory for the kingdom of God, God will bring them to your house and they'll be knocking on your door. And I think that's what this whole Middle East thing was about. Christians had quit going to Muslims because it was a hard mission field. So guess what? Because of uh, liberal policies and stuff, we have Muslims all over the U.S. now. 
that I know I don't know how many young Christian men that I knew that went into the military idiotically thinking they're going to fight Islam and put it to the end. Well, the, our wars in the Middle East spread Islam farther and wider than anything else that's ever happened since. In fact, there's more Muslims in America now, ten times more, probably a hundred times more, than there was before the war started. So I think it's got to be one of two things. Obviously, Satan's plan is to destroy this country and to destroy Christianity. But on the other hand, this could be a great opportunity to evangelize Haitians and Muslims and other people who are being sent here uh, because we haven't been going there. I don't know how God's playing this out, but I know that the kingdom of God keeps advancing uh, and we either obey and go or he'll bring them. But, but the kingdom of God is going to advance. That's an interesting perspective. I'd never considered that. Of course, I know also there's a judgment on, on America in the end times. Revelation uh, uh, talks about God will fill your land with men like caterpillars and they shall raise up a shout against you. And I've often wondered, are we at that phase? Uh, one more question for you. You were former Border Patrol, and um, so you know how things operate. Uh, is it true what we're hearing, that maybe six or seven million illegals have already come in since Biden got in, and uh, they're pouring in by the thousands every day down on the border? Do you see any any of that where you're at? Oh, yeah. The, our bus stations and our airports are full of people flying throughout the U.S. who don't belong in the U.S. So, yeah, I, I, I honestly believe that those numbers are low because I, in the Border Patrol, when I, when I worked there, and, it, and it's been a while since I've been there. It's been 16, and it's been 21 years since I was in the Border Patrol. But I do know Border Patrol agents. We have uh, some Border Patrol agents in our congregation, and I just recently did a funeral for a Border Patrol agent who was killed on duty oh, wow. down here uh, at work. And so I got to meet a lot of the the younger generation of border patrol agents and uh um and so um um so i so i am kind of abreast of it but i when i worked you know we used to figure it was about three to one uh, of course we didn't have the walls that we have now in those days but we used to feel like for every one we caught two got away uh, so it was you know it was two two to two or three to one we, we felt like the ones that we caught, it's like fishing. People would say, well, why didn't you catch them all? Well, you can, you, when you go fishing, you only catch the fish you, you can catch. You know, there, are there other, other fish in the ocean? Yeah, there's tons more. And it was kind of like that, too. Uh, in the days when I worked, the Border Patrol was very understaffed. You know, we had a station of, uh, I think, 28 agents, and we had 60 miles of border. So you can imagine if we were all working at once, uh, we still had to cover several miles each, and we didn't work. We worked three different shifts, so there was often times when there was two or three guys covering sixty miles of river, what and I've, so you can't do uh, you can't cover everything doing that. What I've heard now, what, is what we um, did. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. That? Go ahead. I mean, well, what we did do is we had sensors that we planted in the ground. We had different things that would tell us when things were occurring in different places, so we could react to it. And we also did a lot of tracking. So once we found people got past this, then we tracked them down and caught them that way too. If they didn't get to a road or to a to what we call a load vehicle, or somebody that's going to grab them, pile them all in a in a vehicle, and take off with them. So, uh, but so it, down here right now, the agents they just they just throw up their hands. They they all they are is babysitters. They're just processing people in, 
And every, you know, I used to say when I was in, uh, like I said, many years ago, I used to say if the American people knew what was going on down here, I said they, there would be a giant out, outcry. Well, it's a, still the same multi, on steroids, but again, the press is not reporting it. You know, Nobody um, is talking about it. You're right. And I had to go to InfoWars' website, and they sent down one of the guys, and he said, uh, we're even seeing uh, military uh, basically yep. bringing the people in. And the question is, what the hell is going on here? Now, you say, who's coming through? Uh, Chinese? A lot of uh, people from other far-flung locations, Haitians, uh, African countries, you name it. If you I, can get I, think, down there. I think right here in this sector, they just picked up six people who are on the terrorist watch list. Brother Carl, now... Now, if they picked them up, that was by accident, right? Because there's a, their job is to avoid being being picked up. Right. So that means there's a lot more that came in that didn't... And, and, of course, we know the same thing happened with the Afghan refugees, that they were not vetted at all. They just piled into the plane and flew them to the U.S. and dropped them up here in San Antonio. I heard if you get there... Um, they'll give you a cell phone, a some type of debit card with a certain amount of money on there, and a court date ten years into the dist in the future. Ten years, yep. and uh, basically a bus ride to a city. And uh, I'm all for legal immigration. Uh, listen, uh, not a problem with that. But you know, I'm an American, and my wife's not. And for me to get her through takes me a six to nine month process. There's no guarantee it's going to be approved. Just even come back for a visit, and uh, I would be uh, better to I, actually. Actually, uh, I think you're being very optimistic. It's not a six to nine month process. I know people who married Filipinas in the Philippines, and they have been working five to seven years oh, to be able to come in. See, if brother, you if you get oh, a K one um, yes. visa where you bring her, that can that can take six or seven months. But if you're already married, it's yeah. almost impossible to get them back here. And I asked them. I said, "What's the problem?" Uh, they said, well, we've got to be certain that if you even want to come back for a, a vacation, visit your family, that you're going to leave. And I said, well, what do I need to prove that? And they said, you can't. Uh, so um, I would be better off going down to the border and me and yep. my wife come in as Chinese and I'll call myself Wang Lung and say I'm looking for political asylum to probably wave me right through and I can be down there and have dinner with you in about two days at the Cracker Barrel. You Just know, come through the border. I have literally said... I have literally suggested this to some South Africans because the South African whites are going through severe persecution too, which is also not being reported. That the murderers of farmers and the murders and 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 they don't just murder; it's torture murders in almost every situation. And I've told South African friends and people, I said, "Look, you know, the United States under under Trump, he was monitoring that stuff and he was making some uh, way for some people to get in as refugees because." They were being persecuted by the ANC, the African National Congress, which is sure. a communist organization. Sure. And uh, and and I've told people since then, look, you know, don't even play that game because you're going to be blackballed. You're you're not getting in as a white person. I said, if I was you, I would fly to Mexico, land as close to the border as you can, and cross that river, and try not try to try not to do it where the cartels are going to charge you, you know, a thousand or eight thousand dollars, depending on where it is and and own you and take your passport and stuff that's my said, last that's, that's what i would do question that's what me. i would do if i was a white person in south africa today okay i want to ask because i know you have another point but i want to ask you one more question uh in the old days uh -huh. you could hire a pollero and for a certain sum of money 
they would lead people through to the borders and bring them in that way. I've heard, though, that the cartel has totally taken things over. And um, it's not a matter of you've got to pay the cartel, but a lot of people aren't getting over. The children are being kidnapped and sold into, um, you know, child trafficking rings. Uh, yep. Is that the case, you think? Yes, it's, ab it's absolutely true. All uh, it used to be independent coyotes, independent smugglers that were running down here. Yes. And now it's, it's all organized. The drug cartels own it all. They used to smuggle drugs. Now they smuggle everything. Nothing goes back and forth without them. And anyone tries to break the rules, unless you go right through a port of entry where, the, where they can be protected by the U.S. government, or unless you're able to get to the river somehow without being by, uh, labeled by them or, or you know, caught by them, Yes. Otherwise, nope. You have to. You have to go. You have to uh, work through them. The drug cartels control everything, and the scary thing is um, that they're also controlling things on this side of the river. They're just being. They're just being subtle about it at this point. But they've so infiltrated us with all these people that all these people are intimidated, and all these people owe them things. And if these people don't pay what they're supposed to pay, they had to give over lists of family members and names and stuff back home and those family members that they left behind wow. they'll pay the price they'll be the one tortured or murdered and stuff if they don't pay so they're really extending their their authority all across the United States and now we know for a fact it's all come out you know as if it wasn't obvious before that the FBI is corrupt the CIA is corrupt the Department yes. of Defense Intelligence Agency the DOJ are all corrupt so how are we going to fight corruption when our main fighting organizations themselves are corrupt? Absolutely. Uh, this is just we're going to be a third going to be a third world country. Who do you think is the main cartel? Sinaloa cartel, MS-13, the Zetas. What do you think? Uh, or a combination? They're they're no, they're all at odds with each other, but they but they have uh, these loose alliances. They'll form for a while until they have a conflict and they split up. So it really just depends which section of the border you're on, okay. which group is in charge, and and it's and it's constantly in flux. It's it's changing. That's why there's wars down there, and that's the reason why even the the military gets the tar stepped out because these cartels got armored vehicles. These cartels have 50 caliber machine guns. They have 20 millimeter machine guns. It's wow. not like a street street gangs waving a pistol sideways at you in the in the ghetto. And to think I used to so, live in uh, Tijuana, Mexico 20 years ago and walk the streets, and um, I don't know that I would want to do that now. Uh, is it even safe for an American to go south of the border, even into some of the border towns? Because I hear the cartels everywhere it, now, cutting heads off. It, they are, and, I, and I've, heard, I've heard people that they were fingered right through the port of entry, and they didn't go 50 yards inside the country, and they were pulled out of their vehicle, and then their vehicle was stolen from them by the cartels. So yeah, these things happen. We have a place down here called Progresso, which they have a peace treaty with the cartels, but they're paying a huge fine, a, a huge amount for this peace treaty. So nothing goes on there. So that's where a lot of Americans uh, still cross over to get dental work and sure. to buy uh, medicines and stuff much cheaper than here, where the uh, you know the 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 pharmacy companies have oh, quadrupled yeah. the price and stuff. Big and time. so a lot of people still go there. But I've noticed. It used to be when you went to a dentist, you could kind of negotiate. Now you cannot negotiate. It's one price everywhere. You go from one dentist office to another or one doctor to another. The price is set because they're all paying a certain amount of protection money to the cartels 
to keep there from ha being an incident in town so they can keep tourists coming. Amazing. Uh, Brother Carl, I want to thank you for coming on today. Uh, you were going to finish what you were going to say. Well, praise God. I, I, well, I, I, got to, I have to go. Also, I was just going to say I have to go. But let me just pray for your ministry, Please. and then we'll yes, get sir. back together in, in a couple of weeks. Awesome. Thank you. Father God, we thank you for Omega Man Ministry. We thank you for what you're doing for this man of God. I pray, Lord, that you will strengthen them and encourage them, Lord. And I pray that no matter whatever barrier Satan puts up, Lord, that you will tear them down. We pray, Lord, that we come against every stronghold of the wicked. When we come against anything that would hinder, anything that would distract, anything that would get uh, them off track. And we pray, Lord, as you taught us to pray for your kingdom to come and for your will to be done in our lives. Lord, we want your will done worldwide. And, Lord, we look around and we see a lot of signs that darkness is on the move. But, Lord, we know that it's always darkest right before the before the light. And we know that, uh, that uh, your kingdom... Uh, always wins and cannot be defeated and so Lord God I pray that you will help steal us like men that we will stand for you and that we'll live for you and be willing to die for you and Father God as um, as we uh, as we tell all of our new disciples if you're not willing to die for Christ then you can never live for Christ so Father God give us this fire and this zeal and the passion that you have Lord Lord we pray that uh, you protect us from the wicked one as you taught us to pray Lord to deliver us from the power of the wicked one. And Lord, I pray that you give us victory over our sin. You also taught us to pray, Lord, um, to to not fall short of your glory, which we all do, Lord, and to, uh, to walk in newness of life. So, Father God, pour out your Holy Spirit. Draw us, equip us, change us, give us a fire and a zeal. Make our lives matter in eternity, Lord. We don't want to waste our lives on ourselves and on this time here on earth. We want it to matter in eternity. I thank you for Omega Man and uh, and the ministry and the radio ministry, Lord. Use it, equip, empower, and let your will be done Every, wherever where those who hear this message are. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Carl, we love and appreciate you. Give Sister Selena our love, and we'll see you in two weeks. Thank you for giving me some extra time tonight. God bless you, my friend. God, God bless. Bye-bye. See you next time. Folks, that was Pastor Carl Henderson. And I want to thank uh, Richard Keltner of Watchman Radio for introducing me to Brother Carl many years ago. And uh, uh, Richard Keltner of Watchman Radio sent Brother Carl and Brother Joseph on many crusades into places like he told a story about tonight. Sikikor Island, uh, Witches Island, uh, Philippines and uh, Indonesia and uh, when I heard about the great crusades that they're doing, I said, man, I like to get involved with it, and we were able to participate in a few. And uh, it's been an honor to have uh, Brother Carl back on tonight. It's been a while, uh, but we're not going to let him go this time. Uh, I've already got him booked for two weeks out, and he'll be preaching next time. But it's been a while since we talked. Time just has flown, and so we need to catch up tonight. It was great to hear some of those testimonies and stories from Brother Carl. And... Uh, uh, he's he's a man uh, with an amazing, amazing uh, testimony for the Lord. Um, and he's been there and done that, got the T-shirt. He has uh, was involved as, uh, as a younger man fighting the communists over in uh, Rhodesia uh, with the, what was the name of the unit over there? Um, well, let's just say it was Special Forces Unit, uh, mercenaries, back in the uh, 
70s and uh, later got involved in law, law enforcement, uh, border patrol agent. He was a U.S. Air Marshal. Uh, had some pretty amazing jobs and uh, then got in the ministry, became a uh, missionary to the Philippines and uh, got involved in deliverance ministry and uh, taught schools of deliverance and the Elijah Challenge and uh, I met him again through uh, Watchman Radio and we became friends and um, I'm looking forward to having him back on the program in two weeks and we'll try to set it up twice a month to get on here and preach and give us updates. If you want to contact Brother Carl, say hello to him. Same email, Pastor Carl, C-A-R-L, the number five, at yahoo.com. I I don't know if he's on Facebook or not, but you might try that. Uh, but in, again, Pastor Carl, number five, at yahoo.com. And um, praise the Lord. Well, did you enjoy the broadcast that we did? Uh, we had a late program last night which was today for me uh, with Bart Sabrell talking about his book uh, tracking the moon hoax and um, some of the aftermath um, kidnapped by the CIA drugged escaped uh, he's a born again believer and uh, also we talked about uh, the release of a video interview that Bart Sabrell did relating to a top secret top secret project uh, called Operation Slam Dunk which is where the um, the moon mission was filmed on a Hollywood set on a military base in these uh, special hangars and the man who tells the story tells the story of his father who was a security guard there and was part of the operation. And before his death, he told his son, he said, I got to tell somebody. Too important to tell. Don't tell anybody, though. Um, and his son held the story for years. And as he had cancer, he himself said, I'm going to tell the story to Bart Sabrell. Needs to be known what my dad did. My dad was not a man that he would lie to me. And he told me the truth. And uh, but just don't release this until my death. And the special man that he interviewed on the son of the uh, soldier who was involved in Operation Slam Dunk, the faking of the Apollo moon mission, uh, gave the interview to Bart. Died and then Bart only recently in the last year released it for the first time. And you can go watch that on his website, sabrell.com. You can get the uh, videos, something funny happened on the way to the moon, and also Astronauts Gone Wild, and then his most recent book, The Moon Man, story of a documentary filmmaker uh, being tracked by the CIA, hunted by the CIA, literally. It's some other stuff. I mean, it's an amazing, true story, and, you know, it's just, it's a legacy of lies that we've inherited from our government. It's sad. They're up to them again over there in Ukraine. We don't know the whole truth of what's going on. Uh, the news agencies have been weaponized with propaganda. Uh, they've done the same thing with President Trump. Everything they trumped up charges on on him, um, Hillary Clinton did it, and the others, and they faked the still dossier. And who went to jail over that? She was just fine, that's all. 
everything that the uh, communists in control right now that's really what they are Satanists in disguise we learned from Terry Cook everything they did they blamed Trump on they did themselves and uh, it's very sad Hillary's not going to jail for 33,000 classified emails kept on a server in her house in a closet Joe Biden he's got stuff for, from decades of his service in his garage Obama is said to have taken a lot of stuff with him and on on we go nobody prosecuted just a slap on the wrist and they want to put Trump onto the prison and brother Carl's right this group in government power they're, they're worse than the Stasi police of eastern Germany who had surveillance on everybody and had people in every apartment building snooping on the other neighbors reporting anything uh, that looked out of the ordinary and people would be interrogated and tortured and disappeared under this Stasi dictatorship over there worse than the Gestapo probably and uh they want to make an example of Trump. You send a message to any of us that voted for him. Any patriots, any Christians who don't like the way things are going, that you buck the system, you'll suffer the same fate as him. Look, if they can put him in jail, then there's nothing to stop these crooks in power from going after the other 90, 100 million of us who voted for Trump. Even now, the government is still trying to track down people who were involved in peaceful protests up there on January 6th. And who had the um, Capitol Police open the doors and stand down and who was involved in embedding agent provocateurs, actually FBI agents in the crowds, That was actually an insurrection whose signature on it is none other than Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and those in the deep state who pulled a coup, a coup on January 6th and then they blamed it on Trump, just like they blamed everything else on him. The insurrection was an inside job by the wicked Democrats or you could call them the Sodomocrats. Their sins are from Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodomocrats. And there's wicked Republicans on the other side of the aisle too that work with them in unison to destroy our country before our very eyes. And they want to come after anybody who's a believer in Jesus Christ and loves the word of God. Believe me, warn the saints is coming. And as Paul said, none of you have yet suffered unto the blood, unto the death. Well, they would for long, and we probably will too before long. We'll see persecution come against us in America and Western nations like we've never seen before. Bible talks about it. War on the saints. It's going to be universal. You and I will be terrorists 
for associating, uh, associating ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and following him. Believers in Christ, Jesus warned us it's coming. So we need to be prepared. Even to go to the cross for Jesus. Again, Brother Carl's right. If you're not one to die for Christ, then you're not really going to live well for Christ either and, and do him much good. We've got to be willing to overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony and love not our lives unto death. And that how they overcome. So they're where we hope that in this program, these programs here on Omega Man Radio, these broadcasts, whatever you want to call it, um, you will, your faith will be built up. You'll receive encouragement, training that you can put to get put to use in these last days, and it will help you to become an Omega Man, an Omega Woman, the last man, the last woman alive until the Lord calls us home, or we see Him come back at the last trump. Amen. That did not bow their knee to Baal did not take the mark of the beast did not tap out and fall away I know the Lord's got to do more of a work on me I'm not ready but I want to be ready and I plan to be so we just need to let the Lord do the work that he wants to do on each of us and say Lord here I am not my will thy will be done amen that's my micro sermon and get in the word. When I say I'm not prepared, I need more word. Don't you? We all do. So let's get the word in us. I hope that the Speak My Word broadcast that we do here will encourage you to start your own program and there in your home and begin to read with your family and get in the word like never before. We need to get off Netflix and get in the word of God. Amen? If we're spending more time on social media than we are in the word of God or with our family, then we're out of balance. Okay. So there we are. Hope you enjoyed today. We had Bart Sabrell, and I meant to say we then went from that to uh, this evening with our program, great ones, Elias Antonis and Dr. Deborah Vells speaking on exposing the scorpion sting, and, and that was Pastor Carl Henderson. Now we had another gentleman scheduled for tonight. He had some things come up that he was not able to be with us tonight. He apologized. I'm talking about... Um, brother Bill Keller and um, he said he'll get back with us and so I'm hoping I'll be able to reschedule him for next week he said he'll get back and get me a date so there we are now we're going to be on tomorrow 10 a.m. Eastern with Michael Cummins John Gogan, Joseph Ferrara and we're going to welcome first time guest Tom Dunn who is uh, an associate of the late Russ Dizdor Speaking of Russ Tisdor, um, I got challenged to um, look and see if I could help Michael Basham locate uh, some of the out-of-print books, namely the Black Awakening, uh, Satanic Super Soldiers, and, and others that were written by Russ before his death that just disappeared. In fact, I said, surely I'll find one. I know how to find hard-to-find books. I use many resource tools like abooks.com and eBay and Amazon. I'll do a deep dive. 
I did a deep dive. Hours. I couldn't find a copy anywhere. And uh, I said, what are we going to do here? Got to find this book. It's disappeared from Lulu. Can't get it anymore. They pulled it, pulled everything. Russ's audios are still available on his websites, but no books. Well, our last hope was either to get one of you to uh, send a book in. And I did find two of you that uh, had one who were willing to mail it to me, make a copy. But uh, even better was to get an original and buy a copy um, and get it. And we found the source. His daughter, her name is Charity. And I was able to make contact with his uh, only surviving daughter. You know, the mom and dad both died within weeks of each other. Mysteriously, I think that they were probably taken out by the enemy. And I thought, well, if I could just find her. Well, it took me a little bit, and we did. And her name, I'm going to post it for you, is Charity Lynn. And if you contact her, she said she still has some copies of, of the two books, that one and another. And um, if you're interested in one, you can purchase them from her and she'll send you an invoice you can uh, make a payment through PayPal or make other arrangements and uh, I did end up ordering two copies so I think they just arrived at my Dropbox in Vegas I got a notice today of some package arrived there so hope that's it but I put the link in the chat room and if you want to contact her Charity is her first name Lynn L-Y-N-N-E contact her she has the books she also told me that what happened is uh, Lulu, which was a um, publishing firm where a lot of people self-publish, had made the decision, I guess a year ago, to pull everything. Somebody over there didn't like the content. Go figure. So they pulled everything. And that was uh, beyond her control. But I said, you got to get this thing republished. Get it in a PDF, a Kindle. She says she's working on that. So you can contact her, and I hope you'll encourage her to follow through with that and get these books in digital format because I hear they're pretty important. But um, Russ is no longer with us, and we had him on a number of times. And Toward the end, he got busy, and I lost track of him. But um, I'm thankful to find Tom Dunn, and Tom is going to come on, and we're going to hopefully have him give talks and uh, keep us updated on what's going on. So there we are. Uh, that's all I have to say. If you're not familiar with our new broadcast schedule, again, we're on 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Eastern. A lot of times we'll go later, Monday through Friday. Go to my website, omegamanradio.com. You can find our main archive there. I've removed all audios off the planet and brought them in-house for a number of reasons. Um, and uh, I go into that in more detail than you understand my, my motives if you listen to the audio I put up there in the archive. Copyright purposes, I've got to remove some music, um, and I've got to also uh, get things in, uh, ironed out in an order where we can figure out um, who's tuning in, if we're getting any listeners out there. It was kind of hard. It was all scrambled up on so many platforms but now it's very easy and we can track um, if people are listening through Podbean 
and I like the new format but beyond that um, I wanted to find a solution on what we could do to revive the catalog of over 10,000 shows that we've accumulated and God gave me the idea remaster them and release two a day and that's what we're doing on a new special channel called the Omega Man Reloaded it's uh, omegamanreloaded.podbean.com so I'm putting up two new programs a day I've got more for you I'm going to upload today and I hope you enjoy them and they're going to be brand new for most of you out there tuning in I'm here to tell you you probably never heard most of them and there's so many great treasures so that that solved the problem we release them, re-release them I clean them up as I'm posting them I put titles on them I put everything under one roof, Podbean we're broadcasting under one roof right now MixLR and um, we're regrouping and then we'll decide where, where, where else we need to be if we need to get back into video or not we are still doing the word program every Thursday so we're not on SoundCloud, we're not on Blog Talk, we're nowhere except Podbean, just to repeat myself. And you can find those links. Go to my website. That's really all you need to remember, OmegaManRadio.com, because if you get over there, you're going to find the latest updates on schedule, downloads, how to listen. It's very simple now. Go to OmegaManRadio.com. Uh, I'm also not posting directly on my Facebook wall anymore because of the censorship there. kept getting... Uh, slapped over the past couple weeks by Facebook and so I don't need the, the trouble I keep the account open but uh, I'm now posting things that I want people to maybe check out over on my own Substack blog so there's a link there to it omegaman.substack.com so a lot of changes and um, just repeating this because some of you have not been tuning in for a while and you may come in and say hey SoundCloud's gone blog talk's gone what's going on are you being censored? No. Uh, we've reorganized, and I think we're coming back. We're going to be better than ever before. Uh, just as we're ready to launch season 13, June 22nd will be 13 years on the air. Uh, we did manage to set a world record. I don't think it will ever be surpassed. We've got the most podcast episodes of any podcast ever released. Now, that's according to uh, Adam Curry, the Podfather. He emailed me and said, congratulations on setting the world record for the most podcast episodes. And uh, I'm proud of that. But we could never have done it without you out there tuning in and without the Lord Jesus Christ, first of all. So he gets the praise and the medal, but uh, I am glad to boast in Christ. We've achieved something over here, which I think is very remarkable. We did it together. To God be the glory. And... Um, it's not we did it no one will ever hear it again no we're we're reloading yes I love that the Omega Man reloaded remastering releasing shows from episode one going forward you're going to hear things you've never heard before we've got so many great programs over the years and this is a fresh way to present them again nobody knew how to get into that archive and most didn't have titles on it but I will not post a show anymore unless I have a title on it of some sort. There we are. So uh, this is these are all good changes. And uh, there is an app, if you like apps, download the Podbean app. Or you can go to the website or from any device and just do a direct link and play these programs. I hope you enjoy them. I encourage you to uh, share the, the good news with, with others. 
of our uh, updates here and uh, send people over to check out the channel. Again, two separate channels, the Omega Man where all new stuff goes and then the Omega Man Reloaded. And that way uh, you can choose if you want to go and get any of the, the back catalog of over 10,000 programs or not. It's up to you. They're all there. They will, they will be right there on those respective channels. Now, they're not all going to be uploaded overnight, but we got plenty of content for you. Four shows a day on average, uh, live, and then we've got two shows off the, pod, the podcast reloaded. So that's six shows a day. If you need more, let me know. I'll get you some more content. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to support the work, pray for us, number one. Um, share a program. These are ways that you can do it if you're not able to financially support it. But if God does enable you, bless you to uh, help us, uh, we do appreciate it. We are enlisted supported. We have no advertisers. I have nothing to sell at this juncture. Maybe one day I'll have a book. I promote others' ministries. That's what I like to do. But uh, there is no subscriber fee to get any of this stuff. It's not behind a paywall. And that's another reason we took all of our programs back a lot of platforms have moved to paywall or they're headed that way and we're not going to do that or they're running advertising you know in exchange for giving you some promotion so no advertising here and if you want to support it we've got many ways go to my website omegamanradio.com paypal is the best way but if you don't like paypal or have one we have zelly we have cash app we take crypto and slowboat from china uh, the mailing address I check that about once a month sometimes every two months so if you send something there it'll get to me but it may be a while before I'm able to retrieve that so just give you a heads up if you send a check or a money order and you said I never saw it cashed it's been two months well sometimes it takes that amount of time to process that that's why those other methods are almost immediate at any rate you can still use that if, if that's all you got um uh, the mailing address is on my website. That's all I have to say. Um, it, God's got it, got our back, and uh, I'm not worrying about it anymore. I said, Lord, just put my faith and trust in you. He hasn't let me down. He's not about to. He won't let you down, folks. Father God, in Jesus' name, thank you for this opportunity to do these programs once again. Speak your word. Bless the hear. Bless all those that have come on these programs or will. Father God, in Jesus' name, you know exactly what time it is. You know where we need to be. You have jobs for each of us to do. Make that known to us, Father God, your will. Our Father, which art in heaven, Yahovah, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine art the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, folks. God bless you all. Love you all. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time on Omega Man Radio.